This is the voice of Edinburgh University, 88.9 WFSE, Edinburgh. Good morning, Borough. That's right. It's 9 a.m. here at 88.9 WFSE, Fighting Scots Radio. It's time for the Morning After Sports Show. I am your host, Tubby, and I'll be here with you for the next two hours. That's right, 9 to 11 today, Talking Sports. We're going to start off with some Edinburgh sports. There's a lot to get caught up on as everybody and their cousin was pretty much in action over the weekend. So we're going to have all of that for you. I'll be joined here shortly, probably about 9.15, by my co-host, Miss Maddie G. And then at 10 o'clock, Tom Reisenweber of Erie Times News and his website, of go or uh, high school sports.goerie.com or varsity football action. So we will get all of his comments about local football around the league uh, here in District 10 and uh, a little bit beyond. Today is also September 11th on a cloudy, dreary day, not like it was 17 years ago. And, you know, in keeping with tradition, I don't want to. I know today's kind of one of those weird days. It's a, it's not really a holiday. It's not like a, a celebration like say Memorial Day, is or Labor Day is. It's just one of those things where you take a moment today. Not so much. You can remember what happened, but not so much that. Just more take time today. Because a bunch of people, and I mean a bunch of people, in fact, probably everybody within the sound of my voice and within this entire country, their lives were forever changed 17 years ago this morning, right about this time. Um, For me, I know it was not unusually hard, and and my experience is, is common, But I was working on base. I was in the National Guard at the time. I was working on base at Fort Town Gap, Pennsylvania, which if you haven't been there, it's down by Hershey. So the big Hershey Park, Chocolate World. It's down over that way, a little bit further east of Harrisburg, about maybe a 45-minute drive from Harrisburg up I-81 there. And... uh, you know, it was like every other day we were working on computers and, you know, people, customers were coming in, bringing their stuff and we were fixing them, repairing them. And then I remember um, my friend Regina, who I call G, she came running in and she just had this horrified look on her face and she was the whitest person I've ever seen. I mean, literally white as a sheet. I mean, just the look on her face. And she said, my mom just called a plane hit one of the twin towers and then so we scrambled we went into uh the supply room and we grabbed one of these big old tvs have you ever seen a tv on a cart like i i don't know for you guys because i know it's commonplace now to have tvs in the classroom but some of you older people might remember like the av club you know or the teacher wanted to show a movie and you had to get the tv on a cart and roll it into your classroom well it's one of those type of deals and I remember we set it up in the conference room and we just stayed glued to that TV uh, for most of the, for most of the morning. And then another plane hit. And then 
like after the phone, like the phones had been ringing nonstop off the hook, and then all of a sudden they stopped. And the silence was deafening. I know it's kind of an oxymoron, and it's hard to get your head wrapped around. But the silence was. De- I mean, like you're so used to all the commotion and the busybodies and and stuff and the chatter going on in the background to hear absolutely nothing kind of takes your breath away. But that entire day, I had no idea whether or not I was going to go home. My family at the time was real young. Uh, My wife and I were just married and uh, we had our daughter. She wasn't even a year old at the time. She had been born in May. And I remember finally getting home that night at, I want to say like around six or seven o'clock because we weren't sure we were going to leave. Like we didn't know if we had to respond to help clean up, uh, to, to look for survivors. We didn't know if it was grab your gear and get on a plane and we're going to go get some payback. Like just absolute no idea of what our next move was. Luckily for me, um, base uh security on base got heightened but i I really didn't have to go anywhere i didn't really have to do anything um there was a couple of weekends of extra duty i remember pulling uh, guard duty down by three mile island the nuclear plant down there in pennsylvania but we really didn't have to um like we didn't have we didn't get deployed to to new york city to help with the cleanup we just kind of stayed around base and, and stayed at a, what they called a high point of readiness, meaning that we weren't getting the call, but if we did, we had to be ready for it. That led to, fast forward, four years later in 2005, I did receive the call. And that's when I ended up going to Iraq for a year and making it home. So a lot of differences. I mean, I just... I remember not wanting to watch the TV, not wanting to I guess just not wanting to see the buildings anymore. And or rather the remnants. It was really tough. I don't know really how else to explain it. So I guess with as much as I'm trying to kind of like, as it's coming back, I'm really kind of feeling it now coming back, all the emotions of that day. So excuse me as I pause. But one of the telling things, I mean, it was just to see those people survive, to see them come out on the other side. And there was so much smoke, so much ash, and just everybody covered in it. You really couldn't tell, like, nationality at that point. It was just another human being who needed help. And... Many people reached out to help them. Um, We lost 343 firefighters. And 
policeman. So there was a lot. It's a lot of emotion. And I know a lot of you within the sound of my voice, uh, students here at Edinburgh, a lot of you were probably pretty, pretty, pretty young at that point. Um, hopefully when people look back on this day and they look back on those events, they don't I don't want to remember the fear. I don't want to remember I don't want to remember the hate. What I want to remember is the shared experience, the the sense of community afterwards. Sometimes out of the greatest tragedy can come the greatest good. And that sense of community for like the few months after. There were no Republicans. There were no Democrats. There was no black, white, Asian, straight, gay. None of it. We were humans with a human experience. And we all shared that. We all shared the weight of it. So as you look back today, and as you remember, for those of you who can, don't be afraid to share your stories. And don't forget to share the hope and to share the love. We're going to go ahead and take a break right here on 88.9 WFSE Fighting Scots Radio. I'm going to gather myself up, and then on the back side of this, we'll get into some sports because that's what we're here to do on the morning after. Thanks for listening right here. And we're back right here on 88.9 WFSE Fighting Scots Radio. This is the morning after sports show. I am your host, Hubby, and here in about, I don't know, 30 seconds, I'll be joined by my co-host miss maddie g i am here i am just getting situated she's here she's just getting settled in but she's the boss she's allowed to do that she gets to make her own time card i don't think so i don't think that's how that works well i i, I don't know i did when i was boss does that count maybe that's why i'm not boss anymore i don't know, I don't know. we'll have to see mysteries do abound here at the wfsc studios how about that all righty so as i promised uh, after the break, here we are, Edinburgh Fighting Scots Sports Talk for the next solid 45 minutes here until the 10 o'clock hour when we're joined by Tom Reisenweber of the Erie Times News. So, ladies volleyball in action up in New Hampshire where they get all that good lobster. Well, no, not really, not New Hampshire. New Hampshire's kind of landlocked, but anyway, I know I... I hear New Hampshire, I think New England, and when I hear New England, I think lobster. I do. Is it maybe just because I'm a big guy and I think food all the time? <laughs> all right. Um, we did have Alicia, Alicia Eldridge and Megan Screptock before they left for their trip this weekend on air last Thursday. So if you want to hear that, make sure you check it out. It is up online. 
Yep, it's on edinburghnow.com. Just go to podcasts and you'll see the morning after show. The morning after sports show listed. Uh, just click on that and go to um, Tuesday's, last Tuesday's show. Or last Thursday's show. Thursday. But anyway, so their first opponent was St. Anselm College. And they won that one in three straight sets. Three nothing. Run down the, the list here. Uh, Megan Screptalk, again, 15 kills, zero aces, zero blocks. Sierra Jackson, nine kills, one ace. Sally Sturkle, the standout freshman with nine kills and two blocks. And Hannah Cantrell with eight kills and one block. And I believe if you look in digs for that category for the game leaders, mm-hmm. um, I think Alicia Eldred had something like 44 digs in the game, which is, that's a lot. <laughs> um, so, you know, I know, I know I pointed it out in my article that will be coming out on the, in the Spectator on Thursday. Uh, but that, that's a lot. And yeah, that's working. In one of the other games this weekend, she had another 44. Just unreal. Unreal the effort from the ladies. They won the first set 25-18. The second set had to go to a little bit of overtime as they finally won that one, put it away 30-28. to And then in the third and final set, they win by a score of 25-21. to Their next opponent was Mercy College. They also won that one in three straight sets. Take a look at the standouts from that game. Hannah Cantrell with 15 kills and four blocks. Alicia Eldridge, eight kills, one ace. Megan Screptalk, six kills, one ace. And Paige Morris with five kills. They win that one in straight sets and fairly easily um, as well as they won 25-14, 25-9, and 25-17. trying to look through here to see if yeah no they just came out early like they just came out got the lead started scoring points early and just never took their foot off the gas and just continued to dominate through that entire game so then in the final game of the tournament they took on pace university and they ended up losing that one by a score of three sets to one We'll get into it here and tell you how it all happened. Uh, Hannah Cantrell with 15 blocks. I'm sorry, 15 kills, four blocks. Alicia Eldridge, eight kills, one ace. Megan Screptalk, six kills, one ace. And Paige Morris, five kills and zero aces. First set, Edinburgh wins that one. Uh, much on pace like they normally, wait. Jeez Louise, what am I looking at here? Because now it's telling me game... Okay, that's what I need to do. It was on the same page. It's Tuesday. We're okay. It's Tuesday. It's all right. All right, let me go back then because now I have new game leaders for game two. Sierra Jackson with 19 kills, two aces, and two blocks. Hannah Cantrell with 14 kills. Megan Screptalk with 11 kills, three aces, and one block. And Sally Sturkle with... Eight kills and three blocks. 
Edinburgh won the first set, 25-17, then losing a squeaker in the second set, 21-25, get outpaced in the third, 25-19, and then in the fourth and final, they lose by a mere three points as Pace wins 25-22. But all in all, a good effort. I mean, coming back out of a tournament, two, two and one, two out of three. Two out, of th- two out of three ain't bad, like my boy Meatloaf once said in a song. We play it here on the station. I know <laughs> we do, because it's awesome. Because Tubby goes in every hour and makes sure it plays every hour. I do not. <laughs> I don't know how to do th- Like, they haven't taught me how to. D- I think there's a good reason why they haven't taught me how to mess with the system. Otherwise, I would. I would put, like, all kinds of stuff in there. <laughs> like, we'd play Meatloaf every hour. We'd play Sticks every hour. Probably Rush every hour. I know. Granted, Maddie is now staring back at me with a blank stare like, Tubby, I have no clue who these people are. I know who these people are. Okay. Come on. Okay. (laughs) I'll give you a little bit of credit. So the ladies will be back in action. Now it's for real. All of the, uh, you know, season opening tournaments are now done for. So now they get into PSAC play. They will be playing this Friday at Millersville University. Tip off for that one is at 7 p.m. You can um, check the live stats and stream information. I believe it'll be streamed as well, but it'll be it'll be a Millersville University stream. Um, you can check the links for that at GoFightingScots.com and check that action out. And then Saturday they will move on from Millersville and play Westchester at Westchester. Tip-off for that one will be at 1 p.m. And again... Um, the stream for that will be provided by Westchester University. So if you want to keep keep up with the ladies and what they're doing, that's how you do it. And then on Friday the 21st, the ladies bring it on home as they take on East Stroudsburg right here at Macomb Fieldhouse. Finally, bring it back home. Finally. Finally. They've been on, a ro- on the road a lot this preseason. I mean, we had that home tournament last weekend, two weekends ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I didn't get my volleyball fix, you know, like it was like a, it was like a tease. It was like yeah. a, it was like it was like getting getting cheese sticks. It's like here's a couple and games. Yeah, it was like getting cheese sticks when you're still waiting for your burger to come. But I'm ready for. I'm ready for the burger. For the burger. Yep, <laughs> ready for the burger. But that'll be on September 21st. I believe Maddie, you'll be on the call for that. I presume. Maybe we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens around the 21st. But tip-off for that one will be 6 p.m. right here at Macomb. So that's not this Friday, but two Fridays from now. So hopefully we can get the ladies back in um, maybe next week because they're away this weekend. So maybe we'll see if we can have them in on Tuesday. Have them talk about the home opener then as they come back from that. So good luck, ladies, as you strike out on the road. Women's soccer was also in action. They were at Lock Haven University, and they ended up losing that one one to three. So again, this is a very young ladies soccer team. They're all mo- the majority of them are sophomores and freshmen. Yeah. So they're they're still kind of getting their still kind of getting their feet wet. Uh, shots on shots. Edinburgh took 13, Lock Haven 
took 21. Shots on goal, Edinburgh 6, Lockhaven 9. Saves, Edinburgh had 6, Lockhaven 5. Corner kicks, Edinburgh 4, Lockhaven 4. Offsides, we weren't offsides, 0. Lockhaven 11. Fouls, though, 10 for Edinburgh and 9 for Lockhaven. Uh, Brittany Spithaler uh, beat the keeper high in the 28th, 28th, 28, 40, first, second. Something. So 28 minutes and 41 seconds into the game. Mm-hmm. Scores her first career goal for Edinburgh. Um, good job out of her. And then after that, it was all Lockhaven. Um, we'll go through here through some of the standouts. Shots on... Uh, Brittany Spithaler again, shots four, shots on goal three, goals one, assists zero. Danielle Chatton, three shots, one shot on goal. Marissa Shields, three shots, two shots on goal. And Ashley Bayer, one shot. So the, uh, according to this short story, the Edinburgh's women's soccer win in the halftime, tied with Lockhaven at 1-1. But the Bald Eagle scored two goals over a minute 42 stretch early in the second half. And the Fighting Scots would fall by that score of 3-1. to one. So hopefully here the ladies can get back, some get some get right. As they will take on Cal University. That will be this Wednesday, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. 6 p.m. right here. At Sox Harrison. We'll be bringing you all that action right here on WFSE 88.9. Who's on the call for that, Miss It'll Maddie? be Chris Rosado, and if you've missed his voice, Mr. Athletics will be on the call, Mr. Trey Stons, for that game. Awesome. So Chris Rosado, who's been our play-by-play Mr. Football, mm-hmm. will be joined by Mr. Athletics, Trey Stonch, providing color. Exactly. So it should be a good time. Tune in for that one. Start of that game is 6 p.m. Again, admission is free with your student ID. So hopefully we have good weather. I think the rain's supposed to hold like it's supposed to dry off today. Be nice tomorrow, and then the rain will set back in on Thursday. Womp womp. As but, long as it's okay for Saturday. That's yeah. what, that's my hopes. Just the one can we get just one nice game before the weather just tears us apart because Burrow? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs> We'll see what happens. We've so, waited two weeks for a home game. That's <laughs> right. It's a little bit too long. So, ladies will be taking on Cal University at Sox Harrison tomorrow night. Then Saturday, they will be in action. So Thursday show, we will recap the soccer game from Wednesday, and then Saturday they will be at Millersville. That's a one o'clock start for that game. So good luck to them. Hopefully they can make it on, make, get back to their winning ways, hopefully. Then I wanted to bring out some, uh, yeah, they had the Doug Watts Open here at Edinburgh. It's the cross-country invitational. And Edinburgh ends up winning it with 23 points. Under new head coach. Yep, under a new head coach. So this from GoFightingScots.com, uh, the recap of the race. 
It says, Hallow and Gearer finish 1-2 as Edinburgh wins the Doug Watts Open. Edinburgh's men's cross-country team made sure that Clayton Foster era got off to a good start Saturday morning as Edinburgh hosted the Doug Watts Open and had five of the top eight finishes to outdistance Shippensburg in a battle of two nationally ranked teams. In all, six PSAC teams competed in the Doug Watts Open in preparation for the PSAC Championships on November 3rd on the same course. So PSAC Championships right here at Burrow. I did not know that. Burrow. I, I knew something of that. Okay. We're going to have to get some decent coverage on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, on the same course, Edinburgh ranked 24th in the USTF CCCA Division II preseason top 25, finished with 23 points, while 10th-ranked Shippensburg had 44 points. Indiana PA, or as we call them, IUP, was third with 79 points, followed by that school down south, Slippery Rock, in fourth place with 119. Seton Hill with 130, and Mercyhurst with 147, finished fifth and sixth. Jared Hallow and Brian Gearer. I hope I'm saying that, that poor gentleman's name right. It's G-E-E-H-R-E-R. I think it's Gearer. I think I'm saying it correctly. Finished 1-2 in the individual race. Hallow, a redshirt junior, covered the 8K Doug Watch course in a time of 26 minutes, 12 seconds. Gearer, a redshirt sophomore, who was the 2016 PSAC Freshman of the Year, was close behind at 26 minutes, 14 seconds. Shippensburg had the next two finishers with Robert Moser placing third, Connor Holm fourth. Corey Weefing, a graduate student, gave Edinburgh three of the top finishers as he posted a time of 26.32 for fifth place. Colton Castle and Jake Lincia were Edinburgh's other scorers. Cassia, the 2017 PSAC Freshman of the Year, opened his sophomore season with a seventh place showing. And redshirt freshman Lucina was eighth. With 2641. With a number of unattached runners competing, redshirt senior Eduardo Tapia was 17th overall among college runners with a time of 27 minutes. Brendan Oswalt was 26th and 20th, respectively, at 2730. Edinburgh return in action Saturday, September 15th at the Allegheny College Classic. I actually ran an invitational, believe it or not. Did you? It's really huge. What it is is uh, they invite all the high schools as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a high school race. There's also a college race. And believe it or not, for being in Meadville, that course is kind of challenging. There's a, Unless they changed it. But there was one part like when you're going through the woods and the path is like real narrow. And it's got like all these like trees that are right there like smacking you if you're not paying attention. Oh, no. And it's like it's got like a sleep. It's pretty steep down the one side. It's like when you come back around the baseball fields and it's. In the woods there. But anyway, I don't know if they changed the course or not. It was over 20 years ago. I'm old. But I do remember running an invitational. So good luck to the Fighting Scott Harriers as they take off for that. That's on the men's side. On the women's side, they took first place with a score of 18 points. Holy cheese and crackers. Like, that's a not a great that's a phenomenal score. We have a young we have a lot of young teams here in Edinburgh. Like this year, but like last year especially. But this year 
we still have a lot of young athletes because they're they're sophomores. I mean, as Gary Kaigav says, good thing about freshmen is they turn into sophomores. So although they're still young, they do have a year under their belt in that experience. So the women's cross country team last year that was dominating is now uh, a lot of them were freshmen that were doing really really well, and now they're sophomores. So they've got that one year, and then they've brought in more people again. So this, according to GoFightingScots.com, competing in a competition named for Hall of Fame coach, the Edinburgh women's cross-country team presented its first-year head coach, Clayton Foster, with an impressive start to the 2018 season. Edinburgh hosted the Doug Watts Open and had five of the first six finishers to outdistance Shippensburg. With the PSAC Championship slated for Edinburgh on November 3rd, the Doug Watts Open drew five other PSAC squads. Edinburgh finished with 18 points, while Shippensburg was second with 65. The Fighting Scots ed- edged the Raiders a year ago in PSAC championships and went on to win the NCAA Division II Atlantic region. Edinburgh ranked 20th in the USTFCCCA Division II preseason top 25, while Shippensburg is among the others receiving votes. Seton Hill finished third with 80 points, followed by Mercyhurst with 96. That school down south, Slippery Rock, came in fifth with 100 points, and IUP uh, came, had 153 completed the field. Stephanie Parsons, the 2017 Freshman of the Year, opened her sophomore campaign with a first-place finish. She covered the Doug, Wa- the Doug Watts course 6K distance in 22-18. Redshirt sophomore Hope Oh, I'm going to butcher her poor, her last name. Pietra Caro. Okay, say it again. Pietra Caro? Pietra Carlo? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> with a second, was second with a time of 22-29. Seton Hill Sky Christian came in with 22-42, took home third place, but the next three finishers were fighting Scots. Abby Lang Sr. crossed the finish line with a time of 23-10, while sophomore Brooke Messinger was fifth with 23-12, and sophomore Tori... Komowitz, sixth with 23-13. Sophomore Jordan Hauser, 35th. Redshirt senior Abigail Warner, 39th. And sophomore Michaela Lind, 62nd with a time of 24-47. Rounded out Edinburgh's competitors. Also, the ladies will be in action again at Allegheny College, which is right down the road in Meadville. So not too much of a trip uh, for the Allegheny College Classic. So, outstanding job, men. Outstanding job, ladies. Way to go. Winning at home. That's always nice. And a good start for new head coach, Clayton Foster. Exactly. I know there's a story about, I believe, I know there's a story about the uh, cross-country meet in the paper that will be coming out Thursday, The Spectator. Um, Again, that Spectator episode, that, yeah, episode. That Spectator issue will be available around campus and out in town. Also available online at edinburghnow.com, which if you missed any part of the show today, please feel free. It will be podcasted and up, uploaded directly after the show. So give it about a half hour, 45 minutes upon completion of the show. And you can get all caught up on all the action. At edinburghnow.com, the home of Edinburgh Campus Media. We are everywhere you are. Good, good job there, Tubby. <laughs> you like that? That was a good lead. 
All right. <laughs> so that was that was volleyball. Volleyball. That was soccer. Soccer. And that was cross country. Cross country. Did I forget anybody? Um, football. Football. We're going to go ahead and talk about football, but we're going to talk about football after the break. Right here on 88.9 WFSE Fighting Scots Radio. And we're back right here on 88.9 WFSE Fighting Scots Radio. This is The Morning After, and I am your host, Tubby. Alongside me is Miss Maddie G. And this brings us to football, which is good because we're probably going to end up spending the rest of the show talking about football in one form or another. Probably. Probably. But let's get it started with Edinburgh football, as we should. And then I have some surprising news, believe it or not. Believe it or not, we'll have surprising news about Edinburgh football. Edinburgh went to Bloomsburg this Saturday, as it was heard right here on 88.9 WFSE, with Chris Rosado on the call, doing the play-by-play, and Luke Bonnegar taking over on color commentary for the broadcast. They made the long journey down there. Edinburgh walks away with a win by a score of 21-16, to improving a 2-0 and on the season and handing Bloomsburg their first loss. Bloomsburg now 1-1. One one. Edinburgh led it off by scoring early. Led in the first quarter 14-7. Then added another 7 points in the second. Bloomsburg tallying only a field goal. A scoreless third. And then finally in the fourth, Bloomsburg managed to put 6 more on the board for a final tally of 21-16. Defense really the story here, and special teams as well. I remember driving, I was in the the car, and I was driving because I was headed to Cleveland, right? So I'm listening to the game. I got the stream on. I'm locked in. I'm ready to go. And then all of a sudden, I lost signal. In the... 45 seconds it took me to get the broadcast back on. Tanaz Gregory had caught a, I believe it was a punt or a kickoff return and returned it the entire way. I mean, it was just that quick. It was quicker than a hiccup. It was quick. (laughs) It was quick. It was quick. All right, so here's a short story. With Edinburgh's offense suddenly becoming one-dimensional, defense and special teams stepped up to... Lead the Fighting Scots on a big road win to Bloomsburg and PSAC crossover contest. The 21-16 victory boosted Edinburgh to 2-0 after starting the season with back-to-back road wins. The defense forced four, count them, four turnovers and came up with a couple of late sacks. And despite being on the field for 36 minutes, held the Huskies to 327 total yards. Tanaz Gregory... Uh, provided the Fighting Scots with another electrical fire. Fi- if I could speak this morning, Maddie, my life would be a lot better. Provided the Fighting Scots another electrifying play as he returned the kickoff 90 yards for a touchdown. It was on a kickoff. So excellent play by them. Tomko completed three Thompson or three passes to James Clark. The final one covered 22 yards to account for the first score of the game. Uh, Bloomsburg would come back and score 7-7. Uh, 
After Edinburgh failed to take advantage of a partially blocked punt, the Huskies went 60 yards on six plays, with Hakeem Silman picking up 39 yards on four carries. Eric Benjamin scored from a yard out to tie the game 7-7. The tie was short-lived as Gregory took the ensuing kickoff at the 10 and bust down the right sideline for 90 yards for his third career kickoff return for a touchdown. That made it 14-7 with 62, with 6.42 left. The second of two first-half Trey Hall interceptions set up Edinburgh's third score of the half. Ryan Bischoff tipped Benjamin's screen pass, and Hall ended up with the ball on the Bloomsburg 30. A pass interference call on the Huskies gave Edinburgh a first down at the 10. Third and goal, Fletcher ran nine yards to the one. The redshirt junior scored from a yard out on the next play, bouncing off right tackle into the end zone. Edinburgh led 21-7 with 12.46 left in the half. You know, I want to talk about Trey Hall's play in this game as he was just everywhere. The linebacker play had really stepped up. Now, I'm not saying, Maddie, that we had anything to do with it. I'm just saying, though, that prior to his first game, he did appear here on the show. And in the last two games, his name has been called an awful lot. Coincidence? I think not. I want to think so. <laughs> but, I mean, you can believe what you want to believe, Tommy. That's fine. Just rain <laughs> on my parade, Miss Maddie. I see how you are. So I'm not saying that we didn't have anything to do with it, but I'm not not saying it either. Know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, again, it was just uh, really good back and forth. It was raining pretty hard down there. On the turf, it was slick. It was hard to get footing, um, hard to control on the ball. So they really did. Um, I just ended up pounding the ball. And then late in the fourth, uh, they switched out quarterbacks. Um, let's see how they stacked up. As Andrew Tomko uh, had five completions, one TD for 101 yards and two interceptions. Jared Keller had two completions, 17 yards, and one interception. Let's see if I can get the box score pulled up here. I know, that's my internet charging up music. How do you like that? Pretty good, huh? Okay, individual. Here we go. Walter Fletcher finished. Uh, on 33 attempts, had 164 yards, uh, tackled for a loss of 17, had a net of 147 yards, one TD, longest carry, 27 yards, average of 4.5 yards. Kyle Gaelic, two attempts, gained of five yards, no loss of yards, net of five yards, average 2.5 yards per carry. Andrew Tomko. Six attempt, gained 12 yards, lost 24 for an average of negative 12, or for a net of negative 12 yards. Longest carry was eight yards for an average of negative two. So that was their rushing. Uh, let's see if they, for receiving, James Clark had three receptions for 64 yards and one TD. His longest was a 27 yarder. Tanaz Gregory, three receptions for 28 yards, longest 11 yards. And A.J. Turner, one for 26 yards, 
for a long of 26 yards. On defense, Trey Hall, solo tackles, five, assist, five, for a total of 10, for tackle for loss of two yards, and had two of three interceptions. Zero Hendrick had an interception, had seven solo tackles, one assist for a total of eight. Uh, Ethan Upperco, five solo tackles. Billy DePaul, five tackles, five solo tackles. Aaron Rodgers, two solo tackles, five assists. Trying to go through uh, some of the standouts here. David Ballou, one tackle, three assists. Uh, Nick Predigrew with a tackle. So, I mean, a lot of guys, a lot of the common, how do you want to say it? Let's say uh, usual suspects, if you will, out there doing their thing, balling out. And then, uh, let's see, field goal. Uh, Jake Money Monroe missed the field goal. Uh, it's a 27-yarder. Um, but he had a bunch of kickoffs that were really good, um, made a bunch of PATs. So not an overall bad day, but in the weather, in the conditions. Now, it, it's kind of you don't really want to blame the weather because Bloomsburg had to p- play in it too. But it was a deciding factor. And we'll talk about deciding factors as we get into the NFL because there was some horribleness there. Some absolute horribleness. But uh, anyway, yeah, they were getting ready to uh, come back home. And they're going to face Coach Neely's former team, East Stroudsburg, right here. At Sox Harrison. That's Saturday, this Saturday. Again, free admission, students. Free admission. So come on out. And if you happen to miss any of the game, game footage will be provided by ETV. Also, uh, myself and Chris Rosado will be on the call for that game. And then... Uh, Thursday, that's what I want to say. Thursday, Coach O'Neill will be joining us right here on the morning after to give us a preview and a breakdown of what we're looking at at East Stroudsburg. And one of the funny things, I mean, I call it funny, but it's really not funny. But here's how it's shipping. Here's how it's shaping up for the PSAC crown. Now, I know it's only week two, so I shouldn't get so excited. However, comma. In the East, Kutztown University is tied for the lead with a 2-0 record. Shippensburg, 2-0 record, and Westchester, 2-0. Following behind is Bloomsburg and East Stroudsburg, tied at 1-1. Lockhaven and Millersville are tied at 0-2. Now, it brings us to the West. And who do you think sits atop the West, Miss Maddie? Who sits at the top of the West, Tubby? Edinburgh, tied with IUP. Hmm. 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 Very, very interesting. Followed closely by Clarion and that school down south. They're tied one for one. Cal. California University of Pennsylvania. Cal. Starting out the season 0-2. It's not a good look for them. Also 0-2, Gannon and Mercyhurst. The other two competitors for the Erie County Crown. 
which we really haven't gotten into much. But I'm sure we'll get when we get Tom Risenweber on, we'll talk to him about it because Tom knows all about the fictitious greatest non-trophy in existence, which is the Erie County crown of college football because it's us, Mercy Hurst, and Gannon all in Erie County. Yep, that's Maddie G. Amazed Sorry. as always, folks. I'm um, updating our WFSC Twitter currently, <laughs> making sure everybody that's not listening to the morning after is listening to the morning after. That is a tall, tall tale. All right, we'll go ahead and take one more break here, and then on the back side of that, we'll have Tom Risenweber join us from the Erie Times News and his website at highschoolsports.goerie.com. We'll be talking a little bit about high school football, and we'll get some of the shockers and surprises out of the way. And we'll also try to preview a little bit of what's coming up this Friday as well. You don't want to miss any of that right here on The Morning After on 88.9 WFSE Fighting Scots Radio. And we're back here on 88.9 WFSE Fighting Scots Radio. I am your host, Tubby, and alongside me is Miss Maddie G. Hello, hello. Welcome. Happy Tuesday. <laughs> Welcome. Happy Tuesday. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi, <laughs> guys. my your impression of me? Yeah. Hi, it's, guys. It's pretty spot on. I'm not going to lie. Hi. Welcome. I'll give you that. Welcome to Tuesday. I hope you're having a fine, happy Tuesday, guys. You got to get the little bit of the New York accent. Though. A little bit of the New York accent. Yeah. Hi. Hi, guys. All right, enough playing around. So, we had our first week in the Pigskin Pick'em League, and lo and behold, Toby didn't do so bad. I didn't do so good, but I didn't do so bad. In the lead right now with nine correct is, of course, my wife. Followed closely in a tie, Miss Maddie G. She's like, yeah, I hate that plant, guys. And then I'm in third place, tied with one, the only, a Mr. Trey Staunch, Mr. Athletics, at eight correct. Then followed by ND Irish Ever. Or is it Server? I don't know. And then Drew Patrick rounding it out in sixth with, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's in sixth place with six correct. Formerly just the sports guy, Drew Patrick. And then just happy to be invited has three points. That is sports editor. A sports editor, Chris, Chris Rosado. But to his defense, he did join late and he joined mid week. So like he's he joined like that Sunday because he was away at Bloomsburg. Yeah. So he jo- he missed all the morning, like all the mid afternoon games. I think that happened with Trey too. I think I don't think Trey got Okay. And by the sound of the phone, that means we are joined by the one, the only, Tom Risenweber of Erie Times News. Tom, how are you today? Doing good. How are you? Oh, just peachy. It's a, it's the it's the Tuesday after football, NFL football being back, and I, sir, am one happy camper. Yeah, a little, uh, a little rough for the three local teams. <laughs> uh, with uh, Buffalo getting uh, its lunch handed to him and a tie, of all things, that's you know, I know there's a lot of talk about the catch rule and the helmet rule, but the tie rule is just ridiculous. Oh, I completely agree. And it's, for somebody who was there at that game, 
I, I, I can rest assure you that the tie stinks. It's like it's like getting a scratch off ticket from the gas station, like a dollar scratch off ticket. And you won, mm-hmm. but you won a dollar, so all you got was your dollar back. <laughs> like thanks, yeah, but Well it's like do you it's like you know, if you're a Steelers fan or a Browns fan, do you are you like happy that you didn't lose? I mean I, I think it's worse than losing if you having a tie. Well, I think it's well, okay, I am a Browns fan. I'm a big Browns fan. And my phone was absolutely blowing up because I'm like that one Browns fan that everybody knows. So they were all like so happy for me. And I was like, dude, it's like the most Brownsian thing ever is to break a losing streak by not winning. <laughs> yeah, and the thing that I think, uh, you know, if, if it was like uh, if you're a Browns fan and you were never in the game and a few things happened and you tied, okay, yeah, that's, that's not bad. But to have a chance to win it with a field goal and then it doesn't happen, you're like, oh, man, I can't believe that. Or the block in the back by Miles Garrett that was completely unnecessary when Schilbert got the interception <laughs> and brought it down to the 10-yard line. But, no, we call it back to the 20. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not bitter, Tom. Tom, I'm not bitter. This is Tubby <laughs> at, his, at his least bitterness, if you will. So while I got you on the horn, let's go ahead and run through what happened last Friday. Uh, any big shockers for you on that board? No, and I mean, the big shock to me so far is how bad um, the high school ball has been as far as blowouts. Uh, the average margin of victory last week was 32 points in 21 games that were involved with District 10 teams going on. So it, I don't know if it's the eight regions, it's the six classes, but there has been just a huge gap between the haves and the have-nots. This year and this week is not going to get any better. Looking at the schedule, it's going to get really ugly again. But uh, just last week, it just wasn't pretty. There was a lot of blowouts around District 10. Um, you know, there, there's some you know there's some interesting teams that are three and zero right now. Uh, obviously, Grove City is pretty good. Uh, Mercier's Prep, we all expected Farrell. Uh, nice start for West Middlesex. Uh, they're now three and zero for the first time since 2006. Um, you look at a team like Hickory is 0-3 for the first time since 2007. Uh, so there's been a little, uh, a few surprises here and there, but, uh, there's been some nice stories with some 3-0 teams, but, uh, overall it's been kind of ugly so far. Yeah. As I'm looking over it here, Farrell just absolutely destroyed Union City 70 to 70 to six. I remember yeah, like last you, year that was a close game in, in Farrell where Union City almost beat them to win the region, and all of a sudden, you know, one year later, it's just not even close. Yeah, and I'm looking here uh, just down the the score here a little ways. West Middlesex over my local, well, not my local school, but I guess my local rival, I guess if you would say, over Maplewood, forty forty one twenty seven, and Maplewood, for being as small of a school that they are in the middle of nowhere. This year, their team looked pretty stout, and Middlesex just absolutely handling them. Exactly, and you know, it's one of those things where Maplewood, like I said, they're pretty, they're a decent team this year for one A. Um, they may make a little bit of a playoff run until they run the barrel, and uh, if and Middlesex took it to them, um, I mean Middlesex, that's that's nice for them. You know, Mark Means, the new head coach there, and uh, Colton Hoffman is their office coordinator, and Hoffman was quarterback in '06. Uh, last time they were really good, so it's a nice storyline for West Middlesex so far. But man, I just it doesn't seem like it's uh, interesting football so far. Right, I, I'm just like 
trying to scan through again. Uh, Slippery Rock fifty-two to twelve over Franklin. Sharon sixty-three to to twelve over Fairview. Conneaut sixty to twenty-five over Northeast. Grove City forty-eight to nothing over Corey. I mean, just unbelievable scores. And then, shockingly to me, uh, like in a game that I thought was going to be a lot closer, Fort LaBeouf thirty-five to two over Harbor Creek. Yeah, you know, last year that game was three nothing, and uh, I believe after the first quarter this year it was two nothing. So the combined it was three to two in five quarters. And you're like, okay, well these teams keep grinding it out, and then all of a sudden Fort LaBeouf just went off. And that you know they're really kind of surprising me a little bit because they lost so much to graduation last year. You didn't really know how good they were going to be. And last week or two weeks ago, they just crushed Warren with their rushing attack, and Harbor Creek couldn't stop them. I, it was really surprising. I don't know how much they uh, they took it to them, but you know that's another uh, blowout win. I think you know one of the closest games was McDowell winning in overtime by a field goal over St. Joe's out of Buffalo, who's good, not great. So that's a little surprising. Um, uh, prep getting blown out by St. Ed's. You know, I, I thought it'd be a little bit closer. I thought St. Ed's would beat him uh, pretty good, but not by 32 points. No, St. Uh, Ed's is, is pretty stout. I remember them from my time in Ohio, and they're they're an absolute beast and a handful for anybody on any given Friday. Oh, yeah. They, you know, they're one of those national programs. Um, and they were 0-2, uh, but they lost to Mentor, who was nationally ranked by three, and then they lost to Hale Berry to a Detroit powerhouse. So they were out for blood. And uh, took it to prep. Um, so, you know, prep uh, one and two. I, you know, I don't remember the last time they were one and two to start the season. Although their two losses are to two really good teams, including Central Catholic out of Pittsburgh. Right. And then I'm looking at some other scores here. I wanted to bring up uh, General McLean, 35 to eight over Meadville. Meadville, another one of those teams that they lost a lot due to seniors, uh, and they're a real young football team coming back. Man, it's. Oof. I mean, if you're a, if you're a Meadville faithful, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to back the Bulldogs to sit through this one after having because they had Journey Brown who did so well. Now on at at Penn State, um, man, I just oof, hard to be them. Yeah, you know, and then the because uh, you know, the last couple of running backs are pretty good with Journey Brown, Antonio Ferraro, and Isaiah Manning, and uh, not only did they not return much this year. They had a lot of injuries against Conneaut, so they are really uh, scraping it for you know sophomores and freshmen that are playing for them. So it, it's hard to, to watch. With they've been in the D10 championship the last couple of years, they won their first ever one a couple of years ago, and now it's uh, you know they're probably going to win a few games this year at that. Right now, I would be absolutely remiss and and neglecting my duties if I didn't mention Coach Baldwin at Titusville and his first home win against Cockerton, 14 to nothing, down at historic Carter Field. Yeah, the Rockets, another uh, gritty win. You know, Cockerton's not an easy team to beat. Um, you know, they're always going to give you their best. So, um, and Titusville off to a pretty good start this year after not winning a game last year. So it's, it's one of the nicer storylines so far. Yep, 2-1 and one for them so far, and they move on as we look at next week. In fact, Thursday night, they go up. I believe they're taking on Mercyhurst Prep, correct? Yeah, up at uh, Veterans Stadium. Um, they just be one of those games where you forget what happens and you move on quickly <laughs> because uh, Mercyhurst Prep is, is very good this year. Um, they took it to Hickory last week uh, to make Hickory 0-3, and Hickory's lost three really good teams. So 
Uh, it might be uh, a little tough for Tyson to go out and two and two, but uh, you just kind of move on quickly after that because Mercy Prep has a pretty good rushing attack with Zach Helsley and Khalil Barnes, and uh, their defense is pretty good. Their line is huge. It's really big for a 3A team. So I think that's the biggest difference between them and most of the other uh, uh, schools around here. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, the the style of offense that Coach Baldwin is, is running for Titusville, I mean, it really depends heavily on line play. And then you got a, um, your running back, um, Parker Harvey's doing an excellent job, but he's also pulling double duty, sometimes in there at linebacker and sometimes in his safety as well. And playing Ironman that way, you kind of, you know, you kind of worry about the freshness of the, of the legs. Um, but they have... They have some talent. I mean, they may put up a fight, but I mean, I, I think I agree with you that Mercyhurst Prep should just absolutely roll in this. But I think Titusville can pull out 14 points, but I don't know if they're going to be able to stop Mercyhurst on the other side. Yeah, I think uh, the big key is going to be towards the middle to the last part of the third quarter when uh, these big linemen have, hitting, have been hitting these guys for a while and Titusville has got to just find another gear instead of getting worn out um, and, and trying to find something to stay in that game. Yeah, I I, have, I wish I had the video clip. There's a couple of video clips. Titusville has this young receiver, um, Landon Palma, and he just ha- he's like he's probably almost the shortest guy on the team, but he plays with like the, the biggest heart. I mean, this kid has, I call him Lionheart, Landon Lionheart Palma. I mean, this kid, he was, I watched him cover uh, number six from Cockerton last Friday, and the guy is easily 6'4", maybe 6'5", or something, real tall, lanky receiver. Palma, maybe, if he's lucky, is in there at like 5'8", and I'm probably giving him a couple inches at that. But he absolutely goes out there, high points the ball, gets position on it, and knocks it away from the receiver, and the receiver's just kind of looking like, where did this kid come from? So, I mean, it's moments like that that I kind of take out of those games, especially like heading into like a Mercyhurst where I know it's going to be an uphill climb for Titusville. So I look for special plays out of special players so you can, uh, you know, kind of grab some of those moments out of the game. Be like, oh, yeah, that's worth paying admission for, you know? Yeah, and I know it's, uh, you know, it's, the nice thing is it's all, all eyes on this game because it's Thursday and there's nothing else going on, so getting a lot of attention, and I think it's one of only two Thursday games this year in addition to uh, Prep and Erie High. So, uh, you know, it could be a lot of attention out of Veterans Stadium on Thursday. Yeah, I was going to say, because they moved that one over to Veterans Stadium, so it should be yeah, exciting. You know, it's not Hurst, and, uh, I don't, you know, 7.30 start, and I'm not a big fan of that, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, I'll, be, I'll be busy because I'll be with the middle school team over in Sagertown as uh, my boy will be playing over there, so I'll be there covering that game. So that's that's my takeaway from it. So I wanted to, while I got you on the line, I wanted I we talked a little bit about about the PSAC and the PSAC West right now and how it's shaping up. Are you a little bit surprised week two, or are you like you know what, Tubby, calm down? It's only week two. <laughs> well, it, I mean there are uh, a few surprises here and there. Um, it's nice to see Edinburgh two and zero, although you know. And, and, you know, Bloomsburg's not a bad team. But that was a nice win for Edinburgh. Um, they had to make a few defensive stops at the end there. I mean, I think Edinburgh, you know, for as explosive as an offense is, their defense might be the biggest strength on the team this year. 
Um, you know, they're up five points. And I don't know why Bloomsburg, with about four minutes to go, is launching bombs, but Darrell Hendrick with a big interception. Then that last drive, uh, some big sacks by the Edinburgh front line. So, um, you know, their defense might be the biggest key for them to uh, win games this year. Um, so it's nice to see they're 2-0. Again, um, really, I think they missed an opportunity in week one because they, they should be 1-1 one one right now. But uh, 3-0-2, and, two, and uh, it doesn't get any easier for them right now. So they're, uh, they're in a little bit of trouble. Mercier, um, you know, they lose the close game for the first week. I went to the game last week. Um, they were better than Tiffin, and they just blew that game. Uh, what kind of shocks me with them is Garrett Owens from Northeast is so good. Uh, he scored the first play of the game, 63-yard run. Um, he had a highlight reel catch for a touchdown about 15 yards away. That was one-handed, then he hurdled the uh, defender at the goal line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then in the second half, uh, they get stuck. Well, even in the fourth quarter, they had two drives into the goal line. and uh, or, I'm sorry, into the red zone. And uh, get stopped for field goals. And both times, they had first down inside the 10 and did not have Garrett Owens on the field, which I just don't get. Um, they had their other running back in there. So uh, the one time they were first to go to two, they get a uh, – uh, he'll go block in the back, or he'll go block in the middle of the line uh, and get backed up, and it was a, just a disaster from there. So uh, we'll see what happens going forward, but they need to use Gary Owens a lot more. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. I mean, he's going to be a headache for people if you actually use him in your game plan. I mean, I don't know if they were just saving him for actual, like, PSAC play or what they were doing, but, I mean, that's up to the head coaches and the coaching staff. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I think most shocking as I look at this PSAC West, the way it's lining up, Cal University being 0-2 is probably the biggest shocker for me right now. Um, I, I mean, I kind of expected IUP to be 2-0. Clarion 1-1, yeah, okay, that makes about sense. That school down south, Slippery Rock being 1-1, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> but, you know, the rest of them, I mean, I'm just kind of – I really would have thought Gannon and Mercyhurst would be one and one right now as well, and but right now, I mean, Edinburgh looks like the odds-on favorite to uh, to pick up my favorite non-existent trophy, the Erie County Crown of Division yeah, yeah. Two football. I think, I think so, and I think uh, they they play one of the locals pretty soon, Gannon. I think a couple weeks, but I, I'm just you know I'm ready for crossover to play a stop and get ready in the PSAC West uh, action here because. Uh, you never know these crossover games, what they actually mean, uh, who's playing good teams, who's not. And, uh, you know, we're getting close, I think, what, three weeks away from, two weeks away from uh, PSAC West play. So I, I just can't wait for that that to happen. You know, I, you know, really one of the games I've circled was Edinburgh, Slippery Rock. I think that game has really turned into a kind of a rivalry. Uh, you know, obviously, Gannon and Mercier are rivals. And I think Edinburgh's uh, rival could be Slippery Rock at this point with how close these football games and how much – uh, smack talk there's been not only on the field but in the uh, in the press releases and the game recaps uh, it's really become fun with these two. Oh yeah they're um as a matter of fact you know what we get into PSAC play next so not this Saturday because we have Strasburg coming in here to, to Edinburgh which that'll be a good game Strasburg comes in here one and one it's also coach Neely's former team before he joined the staff here at Edinburgh three years ago but on the 22nd, we will go to Cal, and we'll face Cal in Cal, which is usually tough for us. <coughs> Excuse me. We haven't had much luck then. And then um, homecoming, September 29th, will be Gannon will be welcoming in 
to Sox Harrison Stadium, and that's a, that'll be a 2 p.m. kick for that one. Yeah, and that might be the perfect homecoming game because you're going to have a huge crowd. I think Edinburgh is a better team. You're going to be able to watch Marcus Jones uh, run the ball, you know, one of the best running backs in the conference. Uh, but I still think Edinburgh wins that game. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun when that gets going. Um, you know, the one thing I, I can't stand, uh, the piece that needs to change, is, uh, you know, especially for us in the media, you know, this week, or, yeah, this week, all three are home, all three teams. The following, they're all on the road. And you just kill your coverage. You make fans choose between the three in Erie. Um, I think at, at no point should there ever be three uh, gone or three uh, at home. You need to have at most two. And, uh, yeah, I think you really – we're one of the only markets in the Peace Act that has that situation where you have three teams in the area. So uh, hopefully they look at that at some point and go, we we got to stop doing this to Erie fans. Well, I'll tell you what, Tom. I'll start typing it up, and you can co-sign <laughs> my strongly worded email to Lockhaven to the Peace Act headquarters. How about that? There you go. I'm, I'm Cause, down. Because I'm with you. I mean, I, I don't like it as, as much either. I mean, even though my hands – my hands are not tied, but they are. I mean, because we cover Edinburgh, so we go where they go. But still, I mean, I completely understand. I mean, it's just just look at it from an economy type of way. I mean, how would it would be more beneficial to the area and to the economy alone to be able to fill at least one stadium per weekend out of the three that we have here locally within, like, what, like a 20-minute drive either way? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I understand, um, you know, fans of the three teams don't care. But you're just killing the casual fan, um, you know, because there's not a lot of high school football on Saturdays anymore. Um, so you really have football fans who just, you know, if all three are gone, they sit at home and watch college football instead of going to one of these games. And if they're all home, they go, "Well, I could have wish I could have seen that game or that game, but I had to choose one, so I went to one of them." So uh, even if it's a time change between some games, uh, just something, some kind of solution's got to be out there. Right. Exactly. I I completely agree with you. And I think you hit on something there, too, with the uh, availability of high school Saturday games because that's normally when the JV plays. So what they normally do is, like, say somebody comes in, like, Con- like Cockerton comes into Titusville, we, our JV team would then travel to Cockerton the next day, Saturday, like, in the afternoon and play the JV game. But I don't know if it's, like, due to lack of personnel and, and kids coming out or what, but um, – you know, Cockton didn't have a JV squad, so they canceled the JV game for the following Saturday. And that's been, yeah. like, an ongoing theme throughout many programs. Yeah, I noticed a lot of um, JV games getting canceled. Um, you, it's really hard to find a freshman team anymore around here uh, other than the big schools. So I, I feel bad for the freshmen and the sophomores because they're the ones that really suffer now because, uh, obviously, if they're not going to play in the varsity game, they might lose out on playing football each week, which is a real shame. Right, yeah, because my son informed me today, well, yesterday he informed me that when we go to Sagertown that they're not doing kickoffs or punts because uh, Sagertown only has 12, I think they said 12 kids on their, wow. on their, on their middle school team. So they have like 12 or 14. A, that's the rule in Ohio now that there's no kickoffs and punts in freshman games and there's none in JV games unless the two coaches want or agree to it, which is interesting. I, I don't know why you get the choice. If you're not going to do it, just don't do it. Right, but I mean, it, it's a. I mean, it's still a skill to me. Like, I'm sorry. The two big things I am I am champions of, and that's the big guys in the trenches. 
both the O-line and the D-line, and then the scrawny little kickers, right? Because to me, kickers' lives matter. So if you're a kicker punter, like that's an acquired skill. Like you just can't walk up and grab a ball and start, you know, knocking it between the uprights at 43 or 45 yards back. That just doesn't happen. Like you have to develop that skill, and you got to start it earlier, like in junior high. So to not do that at all, I mean, I could understand. Like in Pee Wee, we still kick off and we still do. Um, punts and stuff, but we just don't, there's no return. So, like, whatever you down the ball, you down the ball. So, there's not that abrupt, like, contact that um, the NFL and everybody else is worried about. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the future of kickoffs and punts because, you know, they keep making more and more restrictions on kickoffs in the NFL. Uh, at some point, we might get to this wherever you catch it, that's it. No more hitting because, uh, you know, obviously in college and high school or college and uh, NFL, it's a lot more violent. But guys are getting their heads taken off, so it's gonna be interesting to see the future of that because too the game just keeps getting more and more restricted on for safety. Right. I wanted to ask you um, over the weekend, how much NFL football did you get a chance to catch, Tom? Well, it's one of those things where I got to see a lot because uh, I'm a huge Bills fan, and I can't take Nathan Peterman anymore. He's so terrible. He's the worst quarterback I've ever seen in my life. And I about I would say the middle of the second quarter on Sunday. I went on a strike from the Bills. I said, I'm not watching another down until Josh Allen is in. So I turned over to Red Zone, uh, the Red Zone channel, and watched. You know, I got highlights from a lot of different games. Then I saw a tweet that Josh Allen was coming in, so I switched back over for a little bit and watched him. And it was night and day, so much better than Nate Peterman. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for <laughs> probably about three or four drops, the Bills might have scored a couple touchdowns in that game. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 the one thing that shocked me is, obviously you're at the game, so you didn't see it, is no matter how bad the Bills game was, they never switched over to the Browns-Steelers game. And even when the Bills game ended, they did not switch over. And you have Bill Cowher doing a post-game show calling the play-by-play of the game because they can't switch over. Now, I don't know if that's a contract thing because they didn't have a 4 o'clock game, so maybe they couldn't show any more football, but it was just absurd. Uh, you know, I'm watching Red Zone, and they're actually showing all the Bills or the Brown Steelers game almost every play, so I was able to watch it. But the fact that CBS didn't switch over was just absurd. Oh yeah, unreal. And I, I still, for the life of me, cannot figure out how the local Erie CBS affiliate is within the Bills market. <laughs> like that's hey. that that just it boggles my mind because I remember like calling the station and stuff, and they would say, "Yeah, there's nothing. We we're in the Bills market." So if they yeah. don't if they don't sell out at home, then yeah, they can black it out and they can switch over to like the Pittsburgh game, which they normally do, or the Cleveland game. What's amazing is uh, I you know it, it has to be just a matter of miles. I mean, I know Orchard Park is the closest of the three, but it can't be that much closer than Cleveland. And I know I you know Pittsburgh is solid two hours, but getting to Cleveland Brown Stadium is just it's got to be just negligible. Uh, as far as distance from Erie to there and to uh, Orchard Park. So it's just amazing that it could be just a matter of five miles is why, yeah. why the Bills are the market here. But, you know, I, I'm not too broken up that the Bills are on TV over Steelers and Browns uh, certain Sundays. So. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I get it. I fully understand. I mean, with your with your Bills fandom intact, and, and God bless you for being a fan of that team, <laughs> I think you're going to – uh, I was talking to my neighbor who's also a Bills fan, and he said, yep, we're the new Browns. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I 
I just feel for you. Every time I've gone up there, I've gone up there for a couple of games now, um, Browns, Bills games uh, in that stadium in, in Buffalo. Always had a great time. Always felt welcomed. I mean, there was the, of course, there was the natural, you know, John and, and picking on one another back and forth, but it was good hearted. It wasn't like, say, this Sunday when I was in Cleveland against Pittsburgh. Oh, my word. I, I mean, it was, it was so funny because the Steeler fans, God bless them, came in there with so much confidence, and rightfully so. I mean, they've practically owned the Browns. Like, the Browns have been their practice squad going back maybe the last 10 years or so. But for the arrogance of them coming into the stadium, and, and we had um, a few Steeler fans um, that said, I mean, said some pretty offensive things, and to a child under the age of ten, you know, I mean, I was just, I was like, really, really, guy, like, I mean, the poor kid can't even remember when the Browns were good, and you're going to start laying into them, you know? <laughs> I mean, the, the the poor kid's life, his entire life, the Browns have been junk. So, I, I just couldn't believe the the arrogance. But it was definitely a they had a different attitude upon leaving <laughs> First Energy Stadium than they did upon walking in. So. Maybe maybe yeah, that, you, that uh, maybe that's what they needed. I've been to five yeah five NFL stadiums in my life, and it's never been as bad as uh, um, going to Heinz Field. It's just ridiculous, just the level of intensity and how much smack they're talking and arrogance. And um, you know, it's funny uh, the Browns. Uh, every time I go to a Bills game, there is it's all lighthearted because we're basically the same team. Yeah, uh, same franchise, same fans. So. Uh, it's always fun uh, doing that, and I, I still remember it must have been oh boy, like nine, ten years ago at this point, the, uh, the the snow game where you know I went down with one of my some of my best friends live in Cleveland and they're Browns fans, and we were tailgating at you know seven thirty in the morning, what you normally do. Mm-hmm. But it was it was a driving snowstorm the entire time, so by the time we got into the stadium at twelve thirty, we just couldn't move. And at halftime, I'm like, okay, before I get hypothermia, we need to go. Because we were just soaked from the snow and went home. And I think it ended up being like a 6-3 to three or was, I think there was a safety in there. Yeah. Uh, it was a really ugly win for the Browns. And he lived near John Carroll. So normally it would take me about an hour, 15 minutes, hour 20 to get home. That night it took four hours. And I was following taillight from a truck. So if he went to a ditch, I was going with him. And that's how bad the roads were. And I just remember that's just miserable. But it's one of those things you never forget. Oh, yeah. Uh, we ended up leaving... Uh, we ended up leaving this game last Sunday. We left uh, just after the start of the second quarter because it, the, the the rain was so cold. Like, it, it was like one of those, like, you actually felt it to the bone. And I'm looking at my sons on my on my left and my right, and knowing their attitudes, like, they're not going to tell me, hey, Dad, I'm not feeling well. I'm starting to feel sick. You know, they're going to stick it out because they're at a game with Dad, and we know that we don't leave until the last whistle. So I, at that point, I had, I had to kind of man up a little bit and be the parent and look at them and go, well, they got school tomorrow, and they both have football games this week, and if they get sick and miss those games, I'm going to have two very unhappy boys. So I'm like, all right, fellas, let's just get in the car. We'll go home, and we can listen to it on the way home. We came, we saw, we're fine. Plus, the Browns were losing at the time, so I'm like, same old Browns, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, uh, you know, Steelers, uh, two touchdowns with seven minutes to go. You're like, okay, well, then it's another loss, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, Big Ben, who's now a turnover machine, 
uh, five turnovers, uh, it just kind of fell apart. So, you know, I, I love these uh, Steeler fans kind of upset about James Conner fumbling. I mean, he had a great game. He One had fumble an... did not cost you the ties. So just relax. Yeah, he had an outstanding game. I was so happy for that kid. Of course, um, Joe Hayden is now practically dead to me. But um, Connor, <laughs> Connor did an outstanding job. And I remember I was sitting there in the stadium. I was like, look at him go. And uh, my son, uh, Pudge, who is a Steelers fan, believe it or not, was like, Dad, why are you rooting for that guy? He's a Steeler. I was like, yeah, but he went to McDowell. And he's like, oh, he went to McDowell. I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, he didn't even know. I mean, that's how much he, I think, literally, Pudge is only a Steelers fan just to try to get my goat. That's the entire reason. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, it, it was kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, he's not the most informed Steeler fan, that guy. <laughs> so, but it's it was all right. It was a lot of fun. And, like, as soon as I got, I, had, I was listening to the game broadcast, and right as I got off my exit on 90, I lost the radio station that had the game. So I'm like, oh. And we were losing at the time still. This is before the comeback. So I'm like, okay, the heck with it. I'm just going to go ahead, put on some country music, feel my vibe, be as sad as I want to be, and drive to the gas station and get some gas. So I go down the road, and it's about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes down the road before I finally stop. And my phone starts blowing up because I finally have signal again. And they're like, oh, my God, Tubby, Tubby, do you see this? Oh, my God. And I'm like, what? What's going on? What's happening? I was like, we were losing. And they're like, no, 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 the game's tied. You got to heck out of here. So I, like, get back in the car after filling it up with gas, find a, find a station that's actually carrying the game. I think I caught one out of Erie that was finally carrying the game. And lo and behold, it was tied. And I just, on the way home from Edinburgh, listened to the uh, the overtime, and I just could not believe t- attempt after attempt, and nobody could get it done. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it wasn't It was pretty. Uh, you know, it was funny when uh, – Boswell lined up for the 42 yard. I'm like, well, another typical Browns loss. And then, nope, they <laughs> just couldn't pull it out. So that was just ugly. And I, I don't think anyone's happy. Though there are some Browns fans who are, you know, really excited about it. But I think overall, people are just fed up with the tie. Like, you can't believe it. We just wasted five hours of our lives for this. Yeah, I, I'm really excited. I mean, I did see enough good things. I think our defense is going to be really good. Our offense has a lot to be desired. But the good thing is is that we move on to New Orleans next week. We'll be in the Dome. So there will literally be no excuses. So either our <laughs> offense has to man up and we're as good as we thought they were, or it was all hard knocks hype and it's going to be the same old Browns on offense and our defense will have to save our butts every single game. Well, it's funny because uh, a couple of my close friends are Browns fans and they, they could understand last year why I, I hated to Rod Taylor so much. Yeah, I said he was the worst, and then I got a couple of texts the other day. Go, okay, we get it now. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, he just he looked really good in preseason, and he he didn't look so bad, and he looked great in practice, being able to handle it and and distribute the ball around. But pretty much, I mean, if your name wasn't Jarvis Landry, you weren't getting the ball from Tyrod at all. And then, yeah. I mean, he didn't turn it over, and he had some nice runs when stuff broke down. But I don't. Mm. I don't know. I, it's a combination of a lot of different things. I think there were missed routes by the receivers. I think Tyrod's vision was lacking. And I think at the very beginning, our offensive line, our blocking was absolutely horrible. But that's just me from a layman's point of view. So yeah, He had ran his patented play where uh, he ran Buffalo, where third and nine, oh, three yard out, third and 12, four yard out. Uh, it just, 
it drove me up a wall that he would never throw at the sticks. And it happened a few times on Sunday when I was watching. I was like, well, that's the with Tyrod. <laughs> that's the Tyrod I know. That's my boy. So. <laughs> yeah. All right, Tom, we thank you very much for joining us here on the morning after on 88.9 WFSC Fighting Scots Radio. So looking uh, looking ahead, what's your big matchup this week going forward, high school-wise? Hey, you know what? There's not a lot of great games out there. Um, our game of the week is going to be Oil City coming to Gerald McLean. Uh, Oil City has been really good uh, these last few weeks. Christian Cole uh, with 14 touchdowns in three weeks. So he's uh, he's turned into a special player, player of the year candidate. And uh, this is kind of a, a put-up-or-shut-up time for McLean. Uh, this is this could be the preview of the District uh, uh, 10 Championship in 5A. So uh, it's going to be a lot of uh, big tests for McLean to see where they are and uh, what they need to do going forward because uh, this might be, these might be the two best teams in 5A in District 10. So it should be a really good game. Uh, I think that's probably the game of the week overall, but the Oil City could blow them out, but we'll see. Yeah, and you have one international game as Erie Royals take on Clarkson North out of Canada. Yeah, you know, it's one of those, uh, one of those Canadian teams that comes down. They play all their games in the United States. Uh, Clarkson North is actually probably the better of the three Canadian teams we're going to see. St. Joe's North prep beat a couple weeks ago. And uh, West Toronto Prep has been getting blown out by teams. And they played Prep and Erie this year. So uh, Clarkson North, I believe, beat McDowell last year. So uh, they are, uh, they're probably the best of the, the Canadian teams to come down here. So that could be a very interesting game at the stadium on Friday. All right, Tom. Well, thank you very much. And we'll look forward to hearing from you again next Tuesday as Tom Reisenweber from Erie Times News joins us each and every Tuesday during the 10 o'clock hour to give us the rundown on local high school sports and, and some college and, and now some NFL as well. A little bit of a little bit of everything football here with Tom. You got it. Anything you need. Uh, thanks a lot. All right. Thank you so much, Tom. We appreciate your time. That was Tom Reisenweber of Erie Times News. You can check out his website at highschoolsports.goerie.com. And he will be with us, as I said earlier, each and every Tuesday during the 10 o'clock hour miss maddie hello hello so we were talking about the pick'em we were <sighs> Alrighty. so here's what it looks like for the pick'em maddie my wife maddie not maddie my wife uh, maddie and my wife and your wife and my wife are tied for first place with nine correct choices this week i'm tied for third with the one the only mr athletics trey staunch with eight correct then um, Irish is coming up in fifth, and then Drew Patrick in sixth, and Chris Rosado in seventh. But to his defense, he did join late, and he does have the possibility to make up some ground as well. I'm sure in the next couple weeks here I'll make some. Right. So you heard uh, Tom and I break down the Brown Steelers game. <sighs> Again, really not a whole lot to get into. I mean, it was just – a ton of missed opportunities. The Steelers couldn't get it done. Browns couldn't get it done. Um, both had a lot of opportunities. A lot of useless penalties. Dome penalties. Discipline issue penalties came up during that game on both sides. Uh, Baltimore Ravens over Tom's beloved Buffalo Bills, 47-3. to It was never, ever close. Not even. This is an old-fashioned skull-dragging 
I mean, they just whooped on them. Cincinnati Bengals over the Indianapolis Colts, 34-23. to Bengals looked pretty good. Colts kind of struggled a little bit, had some flashes. You know, Indianapolis looking ahead, you know, maybe an 8-8 eight and eight team, maybe 9-7. and seven. Not how much better than that. And then, of course, the Pittsburgh versus Cleveland game, which nobody got a point for because of tie. Like I said, it's like winning a dollar on a dollar scratch-off ticket. Completely pointless. I wish they would redo it so they'd go to a second overtime. A second overtime? A second overtime. Like in soccer? Like in soccer. Like in like if they did it like they do for um, division or college. The overtime rules in football for that. Uh, then it was the Tennessee Titans and the Miami Dolphins. This game was delayed by lightning. Finally, the Dolphins come out on top on this one, which to me is a shocker. They win this one 27-20. The Minnesota Vikings handled the San Francisco 49ers 24-16. Texans lose big surprise to the New England Patriots 27-20. But there is a bit of controversy in this with the Gronkowski catch. Simply because a lot of people thought he didn't catch it. Um, they thought that the Texans should have thrown a timeout to try to get some time so that New York could review it. They didn't. Uh, New England wisely snapped the ball beforehand, so now there's no review possible. Um, then in an absolute just shootout, apparently nobody wanted to play defense in this game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 48-40 to over the New Orleans Saints. Drew Brees had an outstanding game and still came up with a loss. The Saints were the overall 96% favorite in that game. Tampa Bay, only a 4% chance to win the game, but they get the win. 48-40. to 40. And then, Maddie, your Jacksonville Jaguars, you got to be stoked about this one. I am, and I watched a little bit of it. We were flipping between what we could see. I was out in the the western New York on Sunday, so... We were flipping between, but the majority of the group wanted to watch the Bills game, so that's what we ended up watching most of the time. But I did get to see a little bit of them play. <laughs> Outstanding. The Jacksonville Jaguars pull this one off against the New York football Giants, 20-15. to Kansas City Chiefs, 38-28 to over the L.A. Chargers. And then the Dallas Cowboys. Ugh, boy, did that, that look painful. I mean, they couldn't get anything done. Against the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers win this one 16-8. In what had to be the most boring 4 o'clock game ever. Ever. My wife and I were watching it and we could barely sit through it. I felt so bad. Um, Seattle Seahawks lose to the Denver Broncos. As the Broncos come out on top 27-24 in that one. Redskins 24-6 over the Arizona Cardinals. I did not see that one coming, and you know what? A lot of America didn't either, as the the Washington Redskins only had a 37% chance to win this game. But they took every single percentage point and ended up winning it. Then, in probably what will be the best game ever, ever, in the history of the NFL, the Tampa Bay, I'm sorry, the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Over the Chicago Bears, 24-23. to 
Khalil Mack and his new contract all but had this wrapped up. All but had it wrapped up. 20-point lead. Rodgers knocked out of the game. Oh, my goodness. But guess what? Aaron Rodgers puts his Superman cape on and comes running out of the tunnel and brings his team back on sheer willpower and one leg. He's like, you know what? Let, let's just try it. <laughs> and then ran back out, and I, they did it. I love his quote. He said, well, I couldn't hurt it anymore. So either you get paid to play a, He said, I get paid to play a game. At some point, you have to go back out there, and you do it for your team. I mean, the most football guy answer ever. Every old school football guy, every old school, every high school coach I've ever seen was weeping at the words of Aaron Rodgers. I I believe he's up for sainthood in Wisconsin. I'm just saying. But what an absolute heroic, heroic performance by him to win that game. That was a late game, too. It was it was a long game and a late yes. game. Yes, I went to bed. I ended up watching the whole thing here in the campus media office. We were doing stuff for the Spectator, and sports editor Chris Rosado and I were sitting there watching the game. And I said, "All right, I, it was the Packers were down still. Aaron Rodgers had not made a triumphant return yet. Um, and there's like 15 minutes left there or something like that on the clock. I said, "I'll stay. I could stay 15 minutes if it if it goes that quick." And here's like a half hour later, and they still have four minutes on the clock or something like that. But I did stay the whole time. We watched the entire, uh, <laughs> the entire time. And I was over at a different desk working, and Chris goes, "Aaron Rodgers." And I was like, "What?" I thought he was like not not coming back. He's like, "Nope. Look who's on the field right now." So then we all we gathered around the computer and watched together. It was a good family moment, Tubby. <laughs> it was a good bonding. <laughs> good bonding. Late night working on spectator layout and editing stories from goofy writers who don't know where to put commas. I don't know who Chris Rosado had picked for that game, though. I, I think either. I think we all had Packers picked for that game. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We everybody did. had Packers picked. Everybody picked the Packers in that one. Because Aaron Rodgers against the Bears is no big thing. But you know what? Having that 23-24, the epic game coming back, now it's going to be a true rivalry because now, I mean, it's not so much Aaron Rodgers versus Mitchell Trubisky. Now it's going to be Aaron Rodgers versus Khalil Mack, you know, and what they can do on the defense. And then it'll be more of like uh, Clay versus uh, Trubisky. Clay Matthews. Clay Matthews, that's it. Number I, 52, Clay Matthews. For some reason, I just blanked. I mean, he's, he's, one of, he's like probably one of my wife's favorite players behind Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if you remember. I just blanked. He was like. I picked uh, kind of I, – I wanted to do, like, an NFL team a week last year to kind of motivate me to pick an NFL team. And so Clay Matthews was my background for a, a bit there mm-hmm. because I wanted to, do the, like, make myself focus on football a little more. And then I forgot, and then Clay Matthews just ended up being the background of my phone for – Year. Till December. Do <laughs> <laughs> you remember that hockey's back? Yeah. All right, so then the final two games, the Monday night games, Wow. New York Jets over the Detroit Lions, 48-17. to Sam Darnold had himself a day. A day. He went up there and quite literally lit it up. He was slinging that ball all over the place. 
And another bad news for Patricia, the uh, Detroit Lions' new head coach, a former Bill Belichick assistant, again, not making a big name for himself. There's been a long history of Belichick assistants that have gone on to become assistant coaches, and they don't do so well. They don't carry the water all that well. Detroit looking in tr- like they're in trouble. Stafford had all kinds of issues. I believe their defense now, they're calling themselves for the New York Jets, New Jack City. So we'll have to see how that plays out. We will. The, my Brownies will face them, not this week, but I believe next week, next Thursday night in Cleveland. So that'll be an interesting cons, uh an interesting game if Cleveland can win in New Orleans this Sunday. So that'll be interesting. And then in the nightcap, this one I actually stayed awake for. I watched most of it, and then I ended up going to bed. But the L.A. Rams just absolutely handing it to the Oakland Raiders and Chucky Gruden's debut as new former head coach of the Oakland Raiders. The Rams win this one 33-13. to And if you got Gurley as part of your fantasy team, you are fortunate. That dude was all over the place. Also, I liked uh, Marshawn Lynch's performance in this game. I thought he did really well. Beast Mode is back, baby. Um, but there was a lot to be desired on Oakland's offense, to be honest with you. Uh, the L.A. Rams, their defense looked fairly decent. Jared Goff looked really good as a quarterback. They're firing on all cylinders. They're going to be the LA Rams are going to be tough to get past going here down the road. So that was our NFL pick'em. Again, the recap for you: my wife and Miss Maddie G are in first place. I am in second pl- or in third place, rather, tied with Trey Staunch, followed closely behind by, um, I believe it's a viewer or listener, Irish, and then followed that up by uh, Drew Patrick, the former Just the Sports guy, and then bringing up the rear simply because of time constraints and didn't get his picks in on time, Chris Rosado, the spectator editor. And if you want to be involved too, I think it's open to the public. It is open to the public. There is still time to join. Uh, You can go week-to-week basis, and we'll pick like a week-to-week winner. Um, you don't win anything. It doesn't cost you anything. We're not gambling because, you know, the university does not support gambling. Not that I'm making a case that it should. I'm just saying that we don't here. Um, so that way you can join. It's free. It's for bragging rights. It's about as meaningless as the Erie County crown. Completely made up and nobody really cares except for me. So just going back the past two years, we are now in our third year of running this Pick'em League. The past two years, year one, my wife won it easily in runaway fashion. Year two, I won it by sheer luck and determination. And this year, again, it is off to a solid, solid start because there isn't that much uh, separating us, believe it or not, because there's only... First place only has nine correct selections. Second place, or third place, which are the next two, Trey and I, are only separated by one. And then fifth place, 
is only uh, separated from first place by two. And then Drew Patrick uh, is in sixth, and he's only three points off. So those are all easily things that you can make up. But we will go week to week, and we will go overall winner. So that way, anybody gets a chance. If you sign up, please include your Twitter handle and or real name or Facebook name or something. So that way we can shout you out and we can tag you in our tweets. So that way, hopefully, you get more followers and say, hey, I beat the guys on the morning after. I don't know. Maybe we'll make it. Maybe we'll get an emoji. We'll have to get like a we'll get a we'll get one of our our crack uh, designers here, our graphic designers. And we'll get them to to make up like a little emoji or something that we can give people saying that they won the morning after pick them for the week. Winner of the week. That's what we'll call them. And we'll announce those every Tuesday. But that brings us to 11. It's now 10.58 here at WFSE Fighting Scots Radio. I wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about Burroughs Wing Cook-Off, sponsored by Burrow Dining. This Saturday, September 15th, Who has the best wings in town? You know this is a competition that I fully support because I'm Tubby. So who's competing? The Hotel Bar, Roadhouse 698, The Empty Keg, Wow Cafe and Wingery, and Norman's Deli. This will be at Van Houten South Dining Hall from 4 to 7 p.m. Free to students and open to the community for donations. All proceeds will go to the Make-A-Wish foundation so make sure that you come on out for that because make a wish is a giant deal here on the campus of edinburgh every year we are in competition to see who can raise the most money and we have won more times than we have lost so let's continue that thing and what a great way to come out because ooh, buddy you want to talk about wings Mm. two things i love talking about wings and barbecue i'll sit down and i'll talk to anybody for as long as you want to about wings and barbecue so come on out. That's this Saturday. You know what? You can go to the game this Saturday. Watch East Stroudsburg versus Edinburgh. Then follow the game and just walk right on over to Van Houten. Again, free to students from 4 to 7 p.m. Taste testing the wings. Again, the participants in that are the Hotel Bar, Roadhouse 698, The Empty Keg, Wow Cafe and Wingery, and Norman's Deli. Don't miss any of that action right here on campus. So coming up uh, on Thursday's show, we'll have an interview with uh, Coach O'Neill from Edinburgh Fighting Scots Football. We're hoping to get some other guests. Stay tuned to our Twitter handle. um, Or if you're following us at Edinburgh Now or at WFSE889 on Twitter or you're following me at GTubbySchmidt, we will... Make sure that we get out our lineup for Thursday. Again, we have Coach O'Neill joining us and perhaps a couple of other guests as well that we're still working on trying to nail out the details. So until Thursday morning, Burrow, have yourselves a great day.